I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Yatta Sanctum was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations. We acknowledge that Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people remain strong in their enduring connection to land, water and culture and that sovereignty over these lands was never ceded. We pay our respects to Elders past and present. Good plan, good plan. Who thought of this one? You're listening to the Out of Sanctum podcast. There is a moment in time in the history of the AFL. In from the side, Houghton. She was surrounded by blue jumpers. Hi Sanctumers, it's Kate Sear here and welcome to another edition of the fifth quarter. Well, it's been a really tumultuous few months for vulnerable populations in Australia with the advent of and debate about the Religious Discrimination Bill in the Federal Parliament. That was a bill that, of course, would have had really major implications for LGBTIQ plus populations, as well as women people living with disabilities and Indigenous populations. And although the bill ultimately was unsuccessful, I know that the process of seeing that bill debated and seeing people's lives and personalities and identities poured over again was really difficult, especially for many of our listeners. And just when it seemed like there might be a respite from some of these issues, a new bill popped up and now finds itself before the federal parliament. This is a bill with a really long and wordy title. It's a bit of a mouthful, but it's called the Sex Discrimination and Other Legislation Amendment Save Women's Sport Bill 2022. Now, this is a bill that was introduced to Parliament on the 10th of February by the Tasmanian Liberal Senator Claire Chandler. And as the name suggests, and as she has said herself, the bill purports to supposedly save women's sport. And the way that it will do that is by essentially introducing some changes to the law that will have the effect of prohibiting trans women from participating in sport. The bill, I know, is one that many of our listeners have concerns about and so do we. And we wanted to spend this episode focusing on the bill, providing a bit of a, an explainer for you and picking apart how how it would work and what it all means. And when we first had this idea, there was really only one person that I knew to turn to to have this discussion, and that is friend of the pod, my good friend, Liam Elphick. Liam's been on this podcast before and so he'll be familiar to many of you. He's based at Monash University. He's an expert in discrimination law. He teaches discrimination law and he also teaches sports law. He's a member of ADLEG, which is the Australian Discrimination Legal Experts Group. And that's a group of legal academics with expertise in discrimination law who make submissions to government inquiries when proposals for changes to discrimination law arise. Liam has a CV that is so long it would take me the whole time of this podcast to go through it. So I'm not going to run through all of it. But among other things, he has consulted to the Australian Human Rights Commission on their gender and sport guidelines and also on vilification with the AFL. 
He was also a former scout for the Port Adelaide Football Club, and I'm going to ask him a little bit about how he thinks they're going to go in the AFL M2022 season as well. So without further ado, let me give Liam a call and take you through what this bill means and how it would all work. Hey, Kate, how are you going? Oh, good. Liam, how are you doing? It's so nice to speak to you. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me on. Always love to be part of the uh, Outer Sanctum family and, and join all of you lovely people. Oh, yeah, no, it's great. It's been so long since we've had you on. It must be two years or something and there's been a lot happening. So um, there's plenty to talk about. And the focus of our chat today is going to be that new bill that I mentioned at the outset introduced by Claire Chandler recently. I wonder if we can start off just in simple terms by you talking us through what the bill actually proposes. What is it that this bill would do? Yeah, well, it's, it's called the Saving Women's Sport Bill. That's what it's called. I'm not sure that I agree that that's what it does. What it does is really two things. It, it inserts a, a strictly biological definition of men and women into our Sex Discrimination Act, and that effectively, by doing so, denies all trans identities and the experiences of many people with variations of sex characteristics. And that's a definition that you don't just limit to sport, but it applies to the whole Sex Discrimination Act. That's our big federal protection for discrimination on the basis of sex, sexuality, gender identity, intersex status, pregnancy. So it's undoubtedly going to lead to unintended consequences if you drastically change how it actually defines men and women. Mm. But then flowing from that and what's gotten more media attention is it then permits the exclusion of all trans women and trans girls from all female sporting competitions. That's regardless of age, level of competitiveness or any other test or marker. So it's really giving a license to sporting organizations, clubs of every variety, amateur, professional, semi-professional, whatever it might be, to exclude and kick out trans women and girls from uh, from competing in any and all sport in Australia. Yeah, it's an extraordinary move. And we might come back to those unintended consequences later too. I, I might pick your brain a little bit more about that. I wonder in your view, if, if you can tell us, do you think this bill is necessary? And the reason I ask that question is because we already have as you say, a Sex Discrimination Act. We already have laws that govern in some senses who gets to play sport and and how people with differences of sex development or or trans or intersex athletes might play sport. So was this strictly necessary in your view? No, no, it's certainly not necessary. Um, Some people might have a view that it's necessary for different reasons, but it's not my view that it is. We actually already have exemptions in our Sex Discrimination Act that allow discrimination against trans athletes in female sporting competitions. But they do set two important restrictions on that. One is if the competitors are over the age of 12, so they have to be over the age of 12 for that discrimination to happen. And also there's a test whereby the strength, stamina or physique of competitors has to be relevant in that case. So usually that means something like lawn bowls. You probably can't discriminate against trans women because there should be no inherent advantage, I suppose, in that situation. Whereas in more competitive contact sports, perhaps that's more relevant under our under our law. I think the conversation should really be about narrowing or indeed even removing those exemptions. And what we're seeing instead in this bill is a massive expansion of those exemptions. So it's going to license exclusion and discrimination against trans women while not really doing much to protect or safeguard women's sport. There are obviously a lot of complexities going on in women's sport eligibility around the world right now. And I don't think we should downplay the fact that discussions are needed around that uh, and better science is needed around that. But nothing in this bill is grounded in science. Nothing in this bill is grounded on a human rights approach. There's nothing about it that's necessary in my view. Now, the bill was introduced a few weeks ago, as I said, by Claire Chandler. And I have seen the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, say publicly that he thinks it's a good bill, that he is impressed by it. 
What do you think is going to happen with the bill, given that the Prime Minister backs it? I presume, you know, there'll be a segment of the population that thinks this is a good idea. There will be some public support for it, no doubt. Is this bill going to get up politically, practically speaking? I I highly doubt it. You never say never. I remember one of our prime ministers saying the high court's going to rule this and then they didn't rule that. So you never you never guarantee things in law, as we both know. Yep. But I think it has very little chance of passing. One reason is that it's actually a private member's bill, even though it comes from a senator who's in the government. It's not a government bill. So the prime minister came out and I think he said the bill is terrific or, or words to that effect. Yeah. That's a public statement about it. But to my knowledge, it's it's not the case that it you know went through the usual government processes to become a bill. So that's one barrier to it. But it doesn't seem like there's much support anywhere across the political aisle for a bill of this nature. We saw recently with the religious discrimination bill that even within the government's ranks, there may be opposition to these sort of moves to exclude or discriminate against LGBTIQA plus people, including trans people, obviously. So to me, there's very little chance of passing um, in in this term of government. But I think we should also keep in mind that National sporting organisations, state and territory sporting organisations in Australia are actually far more inclusive of trans athletes than even the existing exemptions allow, never mind these massive new exemptions. There's no evidence that any of those sporting organisations want any of these exemptions or that they'd use them. We've seen a lot of great work from organisations like Proud to Play and Pride Cup and Pride in Sport who have helped and uplifted most of the the sporting organisations in Australia to move towards inclusion and a more human rights-based approach to eligibility issues in female sport. It's hard to see who wants this bill, to be honest. Yes, there's a sector of society who are certainly seeking to exclude trans women from female sport, but it's hard to see beyond that which sporting organisations, which athletes, which groups are actually pushing for this. So that usually means the bill's not going to pass. Yeah, it's interesting because I have seen uh, major sporting organisations like Netball Australia come to mind, come out and say publicly, this is the first we've heard of it. When this bill was announced, we had not been consulted. Mm. And where, you know, in, in the case of Netball Australia, they said we are the biggest female participation sport in the country and we weren't asked. And other sporting or national sporting bodies have come out and said similar things. So I think that's unusual too for a, for a bill of this nature to have been developed without consulting key stakeholders, which yeah. tells us something about, as you say, perhaps it's it's viability. Yeah, and trans athletes too. I mean, there's no evidence that that any trans people have been uh, consulted on this bill. I would have thought they're a pretty key stakeholder in a bill that excludes them from sport. So there's not a lot of evidence that sporting organisations, that prominent women involved in sport, such as the Outer Sanctum team, obviously, have been <laughs> consulted on this bill. And that's usually a sign as to what the bill is trying to do, which suggests it might be more of a virtue signal than an attempt to actually change these laws. What about any implications for intersex people? Are there any implications for them in this bill? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it's something that hasn't gotten a lot of media attention in recent weeks. Obviously, the the focus, I think, from Senator Chandler's comments and others has been on trans athletes. But we also need to remember that there's um, significant discrimination ongoing against intersex athletes around the world. um, And we've seen that most prominently in international athletics in recent years. So we, we mustn't forget that as well. I'd really encourage listeners to go to read the statement that was put out by Morgan Carpenter from Intersex Human Rights Australia. And Morgan makes the the really compelling case, in my view, that this bill is is profoundly harmful on most people with intersex variations, uh, mostly because of how it defines sex in such binary biological terms. So 
it effectively denies those biological realities that people with intersex variations live with and, and deal with on a daily basis. And in doing so, it's 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 only going to uh, exacerbate and make worse their exclusion, not just from sport, but from society more widely. Because like I said, the definitions of sex in this bill are for the whole sex discrimination acts, for everything to do with sex discrimination at our sort of federal national level. So the consequences of that could be far more widespread than simply in sport. Yeah, I wonder if we can, if I can pick up on that point, Liam, which is one that I have not heard talked about publicly just yet. And this is the potential unintended consequences of that binary definition that this bill would insert into the Sex Discrimination Act. Can you give our listeners just a bit of a sense of what some of those unintended consequences might actually be like in practice? So for people who are listening at home, how might that change in definition actually affect their lives practically? I think mostly what it does is really muddy the waters as to what we mean when we protect people from discrimination. Because this this Sex Discrimination Act says you can't discriminate on the basis of sex, on the basis of sexual orientation, on the basis of gender identity, on the basis of intersex status. And then what this new bill comes along and says is, oh, but there are only two very strictly defined sexes that are these two biological markers. Now, if you put that into a law that is trying to protect people on the basis of, you know, much more fluid concepts around gender and sex, and sexuality. What you're doing is throwing into chaos how we've been dealing with that for a very long time. And I think Australia actually deals with it quite well. You know, we have pretty good protections when it comes to sex and gender and sexuality in most of the state and territory jurisdictions with some problems that have been identified quite publicly in recent times, but the underlying protections are pretty good. And what this is going to do is just just throw that completely into chaos. So if, if someone was previously protected from discrimination in a workplace on the basis of gender identity because they're a trans person, um, or maybe they just identify as non-binary or something more fluid than the strict binary of male and female, well, all of a sudden, I can't tell that person that they're protected in the same way because yeah. we have this strictly biological definition of men and women. So in a society where most of our values are moving more towards expression and identity and understanding of people's um, core identities, to pull that back into strictly bio- biology and what someone is assigned at birth, also in a context where a lot of people are also born with variations of, inter- of sex characteristics that mean they can't strictly fit into purely male or purely female, then that's obviously going to lead to changes in, in how we prohibit discrimination in education, in employment, in sports, you know, in, in anything involving women's only spaces too. So I think that's that's another concern that I have here. One last question on the Saving Women's Sport Bill Liam, um, as you said, the the name of the bill is the Save Women's Sports Bill. I know you said earlier that you think it doesn't really achieve that. Are there other things that you think we could do instead that would help save or support or promote, protect uh, women's sport? A ton of things they could do. I think, you know, excluding trans women from sport is not not the best way to save women's sport. I would be hoping we'd be inclusive of women in in that sporting space. But if, if Senator Chandler or the Prime Minister or the federal government more widely wanted to save women's sport, I mean, they could increase funding given to professional sporting bodies for women's sport. They could work with sporting bodies to increase access and pay for female athletes so they don't have to work full-time jobs while they're playing footy or they're playing soccer. They could, you know, regulate stronger safety standards so that women aren't playing a winter sport in oppressive summer conditions, just (laughs) hypothetically. Uh, You know, they could help facilitate media interests, sponsorship opportunities, you could go beyond sport on a societal level if they wanted to take measures to uplift women. How about reducing the gender pay gap, which last I checked was about 23%, 23%. They could 
commit to their promise to legislate all of the respect at work recommendations to redress and prevent sexual harassment, the many proposals by Grace Tame and Brittany Higgins and others to respond to sexual abuse and sexual harassment? Or what about putting energy into maybe responding to the epidemic uh, and scourge of domestic and family violence? But instead, what we've got from, from Senator Chandler and then backed up by the PM is a bill that does nothing to save women's sport and all it does is exclude one of the most marginalized groups in society. I think we need to remember that when we say marginalized, we really do mean that. One in two trans people attempt suicide. One in two, so 50%. I'd love to ask Senator Chandler what she's doing to protect trans people uh, or indeed any other interest she's ever shown in protecting women's sport because there's not a lot out there that suggests a long history of campaigning for women's sport. I'd don't overly remember her being part of the uh, OG Art of Sanctum team or any of the other uh, groups that were maybe working on women's sport from the outset. So I think I'd care more about what all of you think about how we can promote women's sport the best. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I wonder if we can shift a little bit and sort of broaden out our focus to reflect on the last few months in Australia where there has been a lot happening in this space, in the in the discrimination law space, and I know you're you're very active as a leading expert in the area. We saw in the last couple of months, you mentioned it before, one attempt to evidently further wind back the rights of LGBTIQ plus populations, but also women and potentially others, such as people living with disability and Indigenous people, through that proposed religious discrimination bill. Now, it was unsuccessful in no small part due to the lobbying of people like you and and many other organisations in Australia. But I wonder what your view is about the strength of discrimination law generally in Australia at the moment. Is mm-hmm. it working? That's a great question. Um, I think it's working on one level. I, I think people's idea of what discrimination law is working, it has this real strong moral effect on people where we know that you can't say in a job application that women need not apply. We know that on a storefront, you can't say black people not allowed in here. You know, we know all these sort of underlying moral principles now that have arisen mostly from discrimination law. And I think it's really powerful in that regard. People think of it as a pretty powerful system. But I think also we've seen a lot of erosion of discrimination law in recent years, a lot of attacks on discrimination law as maybe one of the main areas in which sort of Australia deals with social issues. Even even when it's not about discrimination, we deal with it with the discrimination law lens. It's just become the big topic. I think I've done 21 or 22 law reform submissions in four or five years. Like yeah. it, that's, as you know, that's that's unheard of when we're dealing with yep. one area of law that that's, you know, an important area of law, but it's not a big area of law compared to some other ones we have. To me, it has that really, really powerful, sorry, moral effect. But when we have individual cases, when we have individual disputes, when you have powerful actors who understand the law as it actually operates and the exemptions we have and the technicalities of it, we see discrimination and we see ongoing discrimination. And I think what we we continue to struggle with is how to stamp out 
what I would call covert discrimination as opposed to overt discrimination. So something that's more subtle, something that's more indirect, something that's not as clear as just sort of pointing at a man and a woman and saying, I pick the man over the woman. You know, we see it uh, in the workplace, we see it in the provision of education, we see it in, in how we design buildings and how we don't take into account people with disabilities. That's that's the problem we still have that discrimination law hasn't been overly effective at dealing with, those really big systemic barriers. I think about, you know, the many uh, improvements we could and should be making when it comes to pay and access uh, for women in sport and how discrimination law hasn't been able to succeed on that basis. So I think discrimination law is in a good place, but it is being eroded by certain political forces and we need to stand up and make sure we continually improve it and we continually get better and we remove the exemptions that are, that are cutting away people's protections and we stop moves like the religious discrimination bill, which, which trample over our, our um, 50-year history of having pretty good pretty strong discrimination laws. Yeah. So the dominant narrative in the last few years, Liam, has very much been that discrimination law is lopsided, that it doesn't offer sufficient protections to certain groups like people of faith. But what I'm hearing from you, I think, is that there's actually a need not to wind back the existing protections we have, but to strengthen them even further. Exactly. And what we all missed, unfortunately, in the religious discrimination bill debate is that it's actually a really good idea at its core. But the way the government sort of proposed the bill and used it as a sword rather than a shield meant it became something totally different. At its core, the idea behind that bill should have been that we stop discrimination on the basis of religion, which means you can't be sacked for being Catholic or Muslim or Jewish or even atheist. That's a good idea. I think almost everyone agrees we should not be discriminated against on that basis. We should not be excluded or sacked or not hired because of our religious faith or our lack of religious faith. But unfortunately, that debate just got completely weaponized by certain um, forces, let's just say, who, who wanted to use it as a sword to discriminate. And when push came to shove at the very end of the process, effectively, those groups were faced with the choice of, do we want these protections for ourselves and we have one amendment to add to that, which is that the trans and gay kids are protected at schools, or are we going to say no to both? And they said no to both, some of those groups. So they, they decided they would rather continue to discriminate against gay and trans kids in schools than be protected themselves. I think that says a lot about what these groups are trying to do to discrimination law. They're not trying to improve it, they're trying to tear it down. Liam, you've been working in this discrimination law space for many years, and in the last little while, you've been collaborating with Professor Aaron Bezuvis from the US, looking at issues around sport and inclusion. Can you tell us a little bit about that research that you've been doing and what it is that you and Erin have been finding? Yeah, it's been great to work with Erin. You've, you've met Erin. She's a wonderful, yeah. wonderful human who I hope you're listening to this um, <laughs> all the way up in Massachusetts. So Erin Aaron came and visited Melbourne Law School back in, I think it was 2018, wasn't it? We, we did a roundtable together on issues facing transgender athletes in sport. And we brought in all these different organizations, you know, AFL, cricket, Oz or Vic, and all the other different sporting organizations, academics, lawyers, sports scientists, AIS, all the main groups you could think of to try and actually sit in the room and discuss these issues. And, and I thought we really made some good headway that day about how we can all get on the same page. And then so since then, Erin and I have been working on a comparison between what's going on in the US around trans athletes in sport and how that compares to Australia and whether there are any lessons we can learn from one or the other experience. The main thing we found is that Australia is certainly a far more inclusive jurisdiction when it comes to trans athletes in sport and to a women's sport space that is inclusive of a broader range of people. Our findings are mostly that that's down to pretty good, pretty strong leadership and coordination within Australia, not just from national sporting organisations themselves, 
but also from sort of other leading organisations like the Australian Human Rights Commission and Sport Australia, who who conducted research and wrote a report on uh, on these issues. I think it was in 2019, and and sort of worked with all the sporting organisations around Australia as to how they might implement those, both at an elite and an amateur level. And so what we found is that the US really lacks that. They don't have that national coordination. It's a it's a really decentralised system. We might think after the last few years, and I say this as someone from Western Australia, that our federation is pretty broken. But if our federation is broken, I'd love to know what, what descriptor we use for the US because it's splintered beyond any possible measure in comparison. At the moment, you've got all these southern states producing bills that are very similar to Senator Chandler's, but they're actually passing uh, into into law. And you've got a lot of the other states in the US doing the complete opposite and not a lot of leadership, not a lot of coordination. And so we're finding that even individual collegiate bodies or individual colleges or individual coaches in teams in, in one particular team in the US are really shaping and setting their policies around this. Whereas in Australia, there's a much more coordinated approach. And that's what is leading to a greater level of inclusion. It's not to say that we get it anywhere near perfect. There are some policies in Australia that I think are still fairly exclusive and still fairly problematic. But what we're finding is that the the movement in Australia, and the momentum is certainly towards a more inclusive approach, a more human rights-based approach that is dealing with the, the different issues at hand and, and making sure there's a proportionate response. In the US, it's, it's really a free-for-all, almost like the Wild West, and that's leading to some conservative forces uh, having having stronger influence perhaps than they might be in Australia. It's fascinating to hear you talk about that, Liam, because it feels so timely, uh, not just because of the, the bill that we've been discussing, but also I feel like there is a fear in Australia that we are trying to import ideas from the United States, these kind of political wedges from the United States, States and to push them here in order to divide populations for political purposes. And and so to be conducting research on not just what's actually happening here uh, compared to the US, but why we might be doing it better is fantastic because I imagine that could lead to some recommendations from you about how to keep this relatively strong and comparatively strong system here in Australia through that those central bodies and organisations and central coordination. Yeah, definitely. And so the research is ongoing. So I suppose I should have said that at the outset too, that we're still <laughs> working on it and still finalising those recommendations. But you've pretty much flagged what we're, we're very likely to say, which is that the more coordination you have, the stronger leadership you have, uh, the more cooperation you have. And that could be, for instance, between the AFLW and the AFLM competitions or it could be between the AFL and the A-Leagues, you know, it could be uh, across all of the different sports. It's really about getting people in the room and making sure we can sort of get on some uniform path together and set some minimum standards around that. There's always going to be variations and some sports are different to others. I already talked about lawn bowls being a different sport to, you know, rugby, for instance, in terms of the contact involved. So they're always going to be sport specific and perhaps even individual specific considerations to take into account. But the more we can coordinate, the better the outcome we seem to be able to get, certainly in comparison to the US. And and I certainly agree with you that we're seeing those attempts to import US-style wedges into Australia without any shadow of a doubt being imported on a huge level. I think what brings me some hope is that so far they've almost uniformly been unsuccessful. When you think about marriage equality, you think about religious schools, you think about the religious discrimination bill, all of these wedges that that have come from particular conservative forces in the US, um, 
trans trans athletes, trans bathrooms, none of them have overly succeeded in Australia. So that gives me hope that we have a populace that is is more engaged and more willing to push back against these. And then to have the real, you know, important complex conversations we need to have about all of those different areas of law reform. None of those are simple. None of those are easy. We need to have conversations about it. But we can't have those conversations if we have a, a particular group of people on one side, a pretty powerful group of people on one side, saying things that are not true and looking for exclusion rather than inclusion as their starting point. As you say, I take heart too from the fact that those various proposals have been unsuccessful, but I, I don't have to tell you, of course, that it's also not without a cost um, yeah, yeah. for the populations that are affected. Let's pivot to something more positive, and that is <laughs> let's talk a little bit about footy. Um, it's not, not always positive. <laughs> Oh, I suppose it depends who you go for, right? <laughs> exactly. And, and Maybe for a Hawthorne fan in the last 10 years, it's pretty positive. <laughs> it has been pretty positive. Um, you're a Port fan and, and you yes. worked as a scout for Port Adelaide for about 10 years and we had you on a couple of years ago, as I said, to talk about, you know, what what a scout does and how you mm. got into scouting and, and what it entails. And I wonder if I can ask you to put that scouting hat back on for a moment as we sit on the precipice of the AFLM season. To tell our listeners which list impresses you the most. Oh, which list impresses me the most? That's an interesting question because I think, you know, I could pick some obvious ones like obviously Melbourne are a pretty good team, you think, and those Bulldogs are pretty good too. But I think a more interesting question is maybe which list is looking the best going into the season compared to last year. I always look at improvements. I think you've got to look at year-by-year year improvements. Even if you're the premiers, you have to improve. You have to get better because someone else will chase you down. Everyone gets 10%, 20% better each year. To me, and I am definitely probably going to be proven wrong on this so we can play this back in six months and go, <laughs> Liam was an idiot. Um, I think Carlton are looking pretty impressive. I I sometimes think we, we over analyze a list when they don't perform as well as they should and we think the whole list is is bad and it needs massive whole scale changes when for most lists not all of them but most lists four five six changes can drastically you know change the makeup of a team if you bring in a player who's suddenly your number two midfielder well your old number two midfielder is now getting the third best midfielder and the third best is now getting the fourth best and the same with tall forwards if you've got a port adelaide charlie dixon playing and he's got two or three tall defenders trying to stop him suddenly you've got other tools who are freed up makes a massive difference when you bring in that level of quality and i think carlton have brought in a couple of really good quality players i think in chair and hewitt especially who are going to change the makeup of their list and they've got a style that you know super early on but it looks pretty impressive and intense and, and out the ball and you know they'll probably go two and 20 now now that i've given the, them the, <laughs> a kiss of the moz. yeah but but they're probably the ones that impressed me the most this year but we'll see what happens our long-suffering uh blues supporters uh will be very relieved to hear that <laughs> i i know i have to ask you before you go how you think port's gonna do they had a pretty good year last year and um obviously didn't quite get there right at the end but how do you see their year panning out we love to lose a prelim. Happened quite a few times now, hasn't <laughs> it? Um, but yeah. also, you know, making a prelim is a pretty special experience. Look, not as a fan, not as a fan. It's extra. As, no, as you know, you and, and we I have talked about, about last year. <laughs> talked terrifying as a fan. And we won't talk about the prelim that our two teams played. You know, almost a decade sure, ago now. Sure. Talking to the Omen Queen, I'm not going to sit here and say Port are going to do well this year or they're going to win the flag or anything like that because I know exactly what's going to happen if I tell you that. <laughs> yep. We'll get, get the wooden spoon without a shadow of a doubt. And we're the last team that had to get a wooden spoon, so I don't want to don't want to ruin that what i would say is if you know if 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 luck goes our way i think the things that we can control are, are going pretty well it's always an element of luck it's always an element of who you're playing and what time COVID now all those different things in the year momentum but i think what port you know can control 
I think is looking pretty good. So we'll see how that plays out. And I'll probably be proven wrong on that as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, sounds, I'm happy with them. That sounds like one of those very heavily media managed <laughs> uh, answers that, that AFLM players give all the time, a very one yeah. week at a time response. But, you know, fair enough <laughs> yeah. because you don't want to jinx it. Even though I'm f- four four years out of being at the club and, and and no one media manages me, I'm still sending the same messages out to the rest of the competition and and not mozzing anything because I don't want Ken to call me up for the next couple of days and say what were you saying on the other side. Yeah, sanctum? fair enough. And mm-hmm. you can never underestimate the power of um of omens. I I believe that fully. So um fair enough. No, Liam Elfie, it's been absolutely. Fabulous to talk to you, to get you to explain this very troubling but complex bill and more broadly to speak to us about how discrimination law works and get your reflections on the space and also to hear something approaching some predictions for this year. So um, it's been wonderful. Let's not leave it so long before we get you back on next time. Thanks so much for having me on and uh, good luck, I can't believe I'm saying this, to Hawthorne in the AFLM season and, of course, to both of our teams as they enter the AFLW um, next year. Indeed. Before we go, I'm going to leave listeners with a little song that I put together about things that I think we could do to better support women in sport. What a treat. (laughs) Well, we'll see. They can make sure girls and women have dressing rooms So they're not outside getting changed in the nude Get them courts and fields, get them broadcast deals And give them some money Cause over the bridge in town all the boys have more And we'd be really pissed were we keeping score Equal pay, equal say, let them play Just give the girls some money Who would have guessed that in 2022 We'd still be listing all the shit you can do Like that you should be reporting the sports we play And stop pitting sis against transgender and gay Cause at the end of the day everyone just wants to be on call That's how you support women in sport Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt Now imagine them getting even softer over time that's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.